Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is a podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. It is so freaking hot where I'm sitting here in Freiburg, Germany. I don't know about where you guys are, but um, summer has, I think I can call it, I think I can say it, summer has officially arrived and in full force. I'm coping with it by going to lakes a lot and also eating ice cream at least once a day. Speaking of, quick tidbit about ice cream. I refuse to try the salted caramel flavors at the ice cream shops here in Germany for, well, I guess about three years <laughs> because I'd had it in the States and I, I found that I found the flavor just, just too too much, too strong. It was too sweet, too salty, and kind of overall just kind of gross. But my friend kept telling me it was her favorite flavor. I had to try it. I kept saying no. But I, the other day, I put my brave pants on and I I ordered salted caramel ice cream and it was so freaking good. Oh my goodness. So moral of the story, friendly reminder to all my fellow expats out there, try things that you didn't like in your home country because they might be different where you live now and it might be great. And in the process, you might unlock a whole nother range of ice cream flavors that you can then combine with other ice cream flavors and make really cool combinations because like salted caramel goes with so many other things. But because I never even dared to try it, I didn't know the magic that was salted caramel plus yogurt cherry. What? Okay, I am talking way too fast. That means I am far too excited about ice cream. I'm going to calm myself down. And we'll move on to talking about this week's episode. You might remember the guest, Natalie, from an episode last season where we talked about her wedding in Germany and what it was like planning her dream British wedding in Freiburg, Germany. Natalie is a very good friend of mine. And actually, around this time a year ago, I was at her wedding celebrating her marriage to her husband, Conrad. To hear more about their wedding and about them as a couple, you can listen to the episode, which I will link in the show notes. But one thing we mentioned in that episode but did not get into is that Natalie actually had to postpone part of her wedding due to having cancer. So today, Natalie is back to tell us all about what it's been like getting cancer as an expat in Germany. I should say that we talk in this episode about about cancer and about almost dying due to said cancer. And we we talk about the medical things that were involved in the having of the cancer. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that here at the top because, yeah, some of that stuff's not the easiest to listen to. And I also want to take a moment and acknowledge that it's not the easiest to talk about and it's definitely not the easiest thing to go through. So, So before we even dive in, I want to acknowledge and appreciate Natalie for coming onto the show and sharing her story with us. That takes a lot of bravery and it's a lot of hard work to get to a place where you can share about something like this. So I really appreciate Natalie for so many reasons, for so many reasons, one of which is that she's willing to share her story and be so vulnerable with all of us. So with that said, let's get to the episode. Hi, my name's Natalie. I'm from England and I have lived in Freiburg for five years. We only intended a couple of years and fast forward and now it's five and we just bought our first apartment. So exciting. And you've had a hell of a five years. Um, People may remember you from when we talked about your wedding. And one thing that we mentioned in the wedding episode is you've had a whole side journey of um, 
cancer in in your expat life in Germany. So now we have the time to sit down and and hear the whole thing. Where does it start for you? Where does your cancer journey begin? Yeah, so it was a really big shock. So back in 2017 in the summer or no in the early spring, I had noticed some blood in my stool every now and then. Um, and at first I thought it was actually beetroot because <laughs> I love beetroot. Um, and anyway, I was a bit concerned. So I went to my um, house arts, which is your general practitioner. And she was like, oh, here you are. Take this home and you can do three little samples and bring it back and we'll check it. And I did that, went back and she said only two out of three were positive for blood. So she said it's probably a false positive, but she would make me an appointment to see a proctologist anyway. And the appointment wasn't for six months. So I went and saw her in the summer and my appointment with the proctologist wasn't until December. So I didn't think anything of it at all. And I went for the checkup on the Wednesday and... The doctor said, okay, um, actually, we want to do like a full exam. So that means you get to fast for uh, a full day. And then you have to drink this awful liquid, which makes you evacuate your bowels. Oh, no. Um, So it's not pleasant. And then um, on Friday, the 15th of December, I remember it very clearly. I went in for the checkup and comrade had to come and pick me up because I was partially sedated. And then she pulled me into a room and was like, I'm sorry. And she said Krebs and loads of other things. And I knew that Krebs meant cancer, but I couldn't really understand what she was saying. So I was like, okay, cool. So um, what do I need then? Just like <laughs> you sending me off for work for a week. You give me some medication. What is it? And she was like, no, I'm going to refer you uh, to the hospital for surgery and then they'll talk about the next step and you're not going to work next week because you'll have appointments and I really struggled to get my head around that because I mean you can imagine it was the 15th of December so it's only a few weeks before Christmas it was a month before my birthday and also four months before our wedding it was a really huge shock because I didn't expect it just came out of the blue I had no other symptoms I wasn't ill I didn't lose weight or anything no pain just a little bit of blood in my stool and it turns out that I had bowel cancer at 30 years old that's crazy too because when I think when you get an appointment for in six months your brain files this away as non-urgent exactly and then all of a sudden for that to turn around and be like, oh, actually, this is a life-changing, horrible, terrifying thing. Have fun. Exactly. Like, oh. And in movies, when you see people diagnosed with cancer, they kind of, you know, something has been going on for some time. You see them having multiple different tests and then they find out they have cancer. But it was literally just like, OK, so you have cancer. I can see a tumor. And so it was really hard to try and get my head around. What? happens then I don't even I don't even have like an idea of what cancer looks like at that moment you know well exactly it's such a hard thing to process mentally and emotionally because I was in the prime of my life I just started a brand new job at a school working full-time and obviously planning the wedding and then all of a sudden that all kind of stops and you think okay it's cancer and because I didn't have any symptoms it was so 
difficult to get my head around because at the time we didn't know as well how far along it was. They estimated that it was only around stage two. And so I started going for all these tests. I had to go to the hospital and they do like a pre-check before you have surgery. So, and they weigh you and you have to fill in multiple forms. And of course it's all in German. And I was so thankful that I had my fiance at the time with me to go through everything because it was so overwhelming. And a lot of the doctors um, could speak English, but the people who were doing all of the workups and things like that didn't really speak English, or if they could, they didn't know the medical jargon. So yeah, it was such an overwhelming time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but your German was also what, maybe like B1 at the time? Yeah, it so... was Yeah, it was around a B1. So then you also know a good bit, but definitely not medical jargon. No, and that's the thing. I mean, even now, years later, I'm still struggle with the phrases in German and my husband who is German struggles with a lot of it as well because it is medical jargon it's not stuff that you you learn in your everyday life. So how long did this whole thing go on for with like getting the tests and then surgery and all this? So they booked my surgery for the 12th of January which was two days before my 31st birthday. They made me fill out so much paperwork and so I went into hospital on the 12th Well, actually, I went in the day before so I could spend like the night there to prep for the morning. And that was really hard, like having Conrad leave. And the weirdest thing in the morning is I got wheeled down to the surgery. I had to have something similar to an epidural. So you have to bend forward and they have to like feel your spine and put it in. So I was aware of everything before. And that was before I got put to sleep. And that was a very difficult time. And on one of the pieces of paperwork I had filled in, it said that during the surgery, the doctors can do basically whatever they want within reason if it they think it's medically necessary. Which I found out when I woke up hours later that what they had done, what they decided was medically necessary was to move my ovaries to the side. And I also woke up with a um, stoma, which is a colostomy bag which I did not expect. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, so you can imagine waking up after intensive surgery and then looking down and seeing a bag stuck to your stomach. And basically they cut a hole in your stomach. Sorry, it's really, (laughs) this is really detailed. They cut a hole in your stomach and pull out a piece of your intestine. And then they attach a bag to your skin to catch basically the poop. And that was because I had had I think it was about 10 centimeters of my intestine removed where the tumor was. Jeez. And so then they had obviously attached then two new pieces together. And obviously, because it's your intestine, it's normally got fecal matter going through it. And because it was obviously recently sewed together, they didn't want to have anything going through that and cause an infection. So they decided to divert my poop. <laughs> So that it would have chance to heal. So they said, oh, it's just going to be temporary for about six weeks. Would have been nice to know. Like, yeah, that this was it would have been. An, way, but, yeah, exactly. Okay. Also, I don't know. Sorry, this thing about the ovaries being moved. Like that's such a. So first off, you have the shock of the bag. But yeah. also like that the most innermost part of your human body. Yeah. Just kind of got like pushed yeah. around. That's got to be super weird and invasive. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. And they and I asked them why they said, oh, well, you might need to have radiation. We don't know. So we'll just put them to the side. So I was like, that's so strange. Okay. 
will they go back? And they said, no, it's fine that they can function where they are. So this all happened. And while I was in hospital, so I spent a week in intensive care, which was horrific. And then I got moved to a normal station, like once I was more stable and I had someone show me how to care for the stoma. I also met my oncologist for the first time, who then informed me that I was in fact at stage three at the time. And that's because the tumor was a certain size and had attacked my lymph nodes. So that's like, so the staging goes through how big it is and whether it's like going through your lymph node system or not. And then he told me that because I needed chemotherapy, I couldn't have the stoma reversed after six weeks and it would have to wait until after chemotherapy finished. So it went from being six weeks to, I think in the end, six months. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. And were you working still at this point? No. Uh, so my last day of work, I think was the Monday or the Tuesday before I had all my tests done. Okay. And I anticipated going back to work. And of course, then I got the cancer diagnosis. I naively said to work, oh, well, you know, I'm just a bit under the weather at the moment, oh. but I'll be back at work soon. I didn't really understand how all-encompassing living with cancer was and the cancer treatments and chemotherapy. It was a whole different ball game. And then having to live with the stoma as well. So I actually didn't go to work for about a year and a half, but I actually still received almost 70% of my salary, which was fantastic. I have to say the healthcare system here and health insurance, it is wonderful. And that was nice that during this difficult time, we didn't have to deal with uh, a financial worry. Yeah, that's that's huge. I mean, it in no way takes away from the, honestly, like the trauma of everything else that's happening, but at least there's that. I mean, I don't know how it is in, in the UK, but for me as an American hearing that, I know that people who go through cancer and similar things, they do have that additional burden oh, yeah. usually, and um, or that their their job's gone, that's not waiting for them. And, and so they have nothing to look forward to in that sense it's like even if they do recover it's going to be a, a different battle so of course and I actually joined quite a few um, forums online it was interesting speaking with people who live in the states and you know their doctors would recommend a certain course of treatment and their healthcare provider would be like nope we're not paying for that it's not covered under insurance and I never had that worry at all I just gave them my health insurance card it got scanned whatever I needed they would give to me and that was nice that I didn't have to think about it. And I mean, chemotherapy is not cheap. It's thousands and thousands. I don't even want to think about how much surgery cost. And I only had to pay an additional amount of money here and there just as a as a top up. I think it's called Tutsalong. It's like an additional payment. Mm -hmm. So for staying in the hospital, that's 10 euros extra a day. Chemotherapy, I think, was an extra 30 or 40 a time, something like that. But that's really reasonable yeah wow. oh for sure and wow. they paid for my taxi to and from chemotherapy to home and back again wow which was nice because trying to get public transport whilst having chemo was not uh not fun <laughs> yeah geez I didn't even think about that like just yeah. sitting on the train with your like no of course I mean because I had chemo my chemo rounds were um two and a half days so a total of 48 hours so I would go in have the treatment there then they would plug in, it actually looks like a little deodorant bottle. And then they would put it in a net bag and hang it over my neck and it would be attached to a port under my skin. Um, and so I would then go home, have to sleep with it on, come back, 
take it off, have another day at the clinic and then have the bottle put back on again. And then, so that would start on the Monday and I'd have it taken off on the Wednesday. So yeah, I'm so glad that I could just get in a taxi home. Yeah, the little things. (laughs) And I don't think you get that in the UK. Definitely, I don't think the healthcare system and the support there is anywhere as good as it is in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. So you ended up having chemo for several months long, right? Yep. I had it for three months. Yeah. Okay. So this is from what, like January to April? So, no. So um, I was in hospital for over two weeks and then I came home and then I had to wait several weeks before I could then start chemo. So I started the chemo then in February. I finished in May. And April, which is in the middle there, yeah. was your wedding. Yes. <laughs> so while I was in hospital in January, we obviously had to make the decision about the wedding. And we were having the official ceremony at the um, Rathaus, which is the civil service office. And we were planning on having the really big ceremony, the Freie Trauung, the next day. Um, so we made the decision to postpone the big ceremony. But we decided that we still wanted to get married, nevertheless. One, because we just loved each other and wanted to do it. But two, it was a hell of a lot of paperwork <laughs> to organize the wedding. And we, when we got the permission to get married from the state, if we didn't use that permission for, I think it's like three months or something, that you have to start the process all over again. Jeez. So we talked to my oncologist and because I was having a week of chemo and then I'd have a week off and then I'd have another week and a week off we organized that my chemo would start so that the wedding would be on my off week right at the end so that's when I would start to feel normal again it was a perfect beautiful sunny day and I still had the colostomy bag at the time but you couldn't see it in the dress and the type of chemotherapy I had meant that I didn't lose my hair which I didn't even realize there were different types of chemotherapy. I just assumed you take it and you lose your hair and that's it. But turns out that's actually more geared towards people who have breast cancer. It was weird being at the oncologist's office having chemotherapy because I was the youngest person there. Yeah. Well, and also isn't your specific type of cancer more common in older older people? people? Oh, yeah. I went to my general practitioner And she was on holiday, so they had a different doctor there, like, looking after her practice. And I needed something, and so I said, oh, you know, I'm having chemotherapy, and I just need to, like, get this new medication. And he was like, who told you you needed chemotherapy? And I'm like, because I have cancer. And he's like, what kind of cancer? And I said, oh, it's, you know, it's bowel cancer, it's Darmkrebs. And he was like, no, it's not, you're too young. And I was like, no, for realsies, like... (laughs) Like, I'm I'm not just, like, making this up. It's not a fun joke. <laughs> it's, like. not, it's not a fun joke, not at all. And every time I would see any new doctor, we would do the same song and dance. Oh, like, geez. oh, but you're so young and does it run in your family? And when I told them that I had an identical twin sister who went and obviously got tested and she is perfectly healthy. There is nothing wrong with her, which is fantastic. It's just kind of just one of those things. It can just happen out of nowhere all it takes is one cell to you know misbehave and yeah and then all of a sudden you've got a tumor yeah I just feel like uh, putting myself in your shoes there I'm like okay so everything already sucks right like yeah every, like the situation in and of itself is bad cancer is bad yeah. what it's done to your life is bad 
Um, plus, you you can't necessarily have that same level of community. Like, I think one thing that you hear yeah. a lot about is like the support groups that really help each other, but you're like everyone else is like an old person. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure. isolated there. And then on top of it, you're not German and your language skills are so you're somewhere in the process. But like, I imagine at that point, that's like both the last thing on your list of concerns and also the first, because on one level you can't communicate and it's an issue, but on the other, it's like freaking cares. There's plenty else to worry about. Like, yeah. you know, I just, I, I imagine I would feel really, really isolated and un- Oh, it was. Understood. I mean, you can imagine as well, I'm a bit of a workaholic, all of a sudden being at home and of course going through chemotherapy it was not pleasant at all and the first week was the worst not being able to eat the vomiting not being able to sleep just feeling weak and then just sitting at home all day every day thinking am I going to die (laughs) it's it was so heartbreaking and I had such a great group of friends and the support from my family were amazing but of course everybody still had their own lives as well they couldn't have people come to visit me 24 7 and it was really difficult I was in this little bubble and it was really really hard so after May after the chemo then the next step is taking the what's it called the The, the stoma yeah stoma out yes so I had that reversed at the beginning of June and I was extremely excited to no longer have the colostomy bag because that came with its own issues. The amount of times the bag would accidentally explode and I would end up covered in shit. Um, just one of those things that became part of my normal life. So I was really excited to have that removed in June. I had surgery and then I was in hospital, I think for five days and I got sent home. But about a week or so later, I didn't feel very well and I had a temperature and we went backwards and forwards to my doctor they said okay yeah you must have an infection gave me antibiotics for a week and I just got weaker and weaker and weaker and we finally went to the hospital and I was like you need to do something they cut open my scar and decided to clean out sorry this is really graphic (laughs) to clean out the pus that was in there the wound was about six centimeters deep and then they cleaned it out and then decided they weren't going to sew it back up because they didn't want it to get infected again so they just packed it full of it's kind of like a cotton woolly material that was like dipped in uh, an antiseptic thing and put that in there and then I had to go back every day and have that removed and cleaned and put in again and a week later I was still really sick so then I had a scan And they found out I had a septic abscess and I had emergency surgery and almost died. And then I woke up and I was in quarantine because not only did I have a septic abscess, but I was also taking a painkiller called Novogine, which has a one in a million chance of this side effect happening, which is it can destroy your immune system. And I was just that one in a million lucky person. So I had a septic infection and no immune system. So I couldn't be surrounded by anybody. The only person who could visit me in hospital was Conrad. And he came in. So you can imagine we got married in April and then in June, (laughs) I almost died. And after a week of being in hospital, being touch and go, the hospital said, okay, we can't do any more for you. We're going to transfer you to 
a different hospital, um, which was the uni clinic then. And I went into the uni clinic and the first doctor who saw me was like, so you have no immune system and there is a 50-50 chance that you will die. And there's not really much we can do about it. So yeah, that happened. Jesus. And it, this is the time too where like even when Conrad was visiting, didn't he have to be completely yep. covered in what, like protective gear? And Yep. So he had to wear uh, a hat. He had to wear like a mask over his face. He had to wear a gown, everything, uh, gloves. Nobody else could come and see me. I was in a room by myself. I mean, it was a really hot summer and I had an air-conditioned room. So I suppose... <laughs> There is a silver lining there, but you can imagine going through all of this and not being able to have anyone else come to visit me, not having my parents. And because I um, was so sick, I was hallucinating because my temperature uh, was over 40 degrees. They couldn't, it was really hard to try and get my temperature down. And because I didn't have an immune system, they basically said there's nothing that they could do. I had, they had to wait for my body to regenerate. In the end, I ended up having uh, an infusion from Comrade several times, which helped stimulate my white blood cells to reproduce. But yeah, I spent a month in quarantine and then had to have um, rehab afterwards to walk again because I was so weak. I was determined the whole way through it that nothing was going to get me down. So crazy to me that that could happen. And I had been so focused on the cancer and it turns out, you know, that any little thing could knock you back off your feet. But I was determined so that I would get better because we were actually supposed to be going to the States in August for our friend's wedding. Obviously, this was in June. And I kept saying to the doctor, I was like, well, you need to let me out because I'm going to America. And he was like, I don't think you are. And it turns out that he was wrong and I did get to go to the States. <laughs> and I think it was good having something concrete to work towards. I do fully believe that having a strong attitude and a positive mental outlook really helps with your illness. It doesn't mean that having cancer is fun. It doesn't mean that it wasn't difficult, but I had to look at it in a way as like, okay, this has happened it's about how I react to it, you know, and that really having the support from family and friends and Conrad and this attitude that I'm still here, so mm. I'm going to keep going. What a great way to have stubbornness validated. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I remember, so I mean, side note, but around this time is when we started to get to know each other. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I, I mean, even now hearing the story, I'm like, I... I I can't comprehend what that is like, like the the amount of times that you quite literally almost died in one rapid succession and like fun and new and surprising ways. Like I, it's incomprehensible, I think, to someone who's not gone through it. And I'm sitting here, you know, having a coffee with you in Freiburg. And you're telling me all this and you're like, but I'm going to the States in a month. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, Okay. I don't know if she knows, but I don't know if that's, I don't yeah. know if that's going to happen. But it really was just, and I remember you saying you like had to sort of negotiate with the doctors, keep making it a priority because obviously the doctors care about your body and yeah. like they're not there to make sure that you get to go to the States. Oh, of right? course. And I so, mean, but... if I wasn't healthy, I couldn't have gone, but I had to jump through so many hoops to get there. So when I got home every day, Comrade would take me uh, on a walk and I had to keep stopping and sitting on benches, but I made it through. And every day 
we would do that I would eat as healthily as I possibly could anything that I could physically do myself I would do it I think that there is a tendency for people when they're sick to feel really down and feel like woe is me and life is so hard and it's not fair and of course I felt all of that but there is only so much time that you can spend feeling that way without thinking okay you know you've got to suck it up and get on and get out there because life is still for the living. I have to live with cancer every single day and knowing that it might come back or not and you just have to learn to get on with it and then the almost dying thing really put things in perspective for me because I thought well I don't know how long I've got so I want to squeeze as much joy and excitement out of every single moment that I can I don't want to have any regrets so this is August now yep if my memory serves me correctly I think there was a couple months of joy and of getting back to life oh yeah yeah it was some great times yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and then And then, (laughs) and then we had rescheduled our wedding ceremony and we had also rebooked our honeymoon and we'd actually decided that we were going to go in our honeymoon in April and then have the big ceremony in July. Yeah, so really excited for the honeymoon, supposed to go to the Maldives for my last round of chemo in May, then the whole almost dying thing and then recovery. I was going for checkups every three months. And in my last checkup at the end of the year, the doctors were happy with the progress. They said that, you know, I was young, I had bounced back. And so they said that I could actually move from having my tests every three months to then every six months. So I was overjoyed. I thought that's great. That's a step in the right direction. Then March rolls around and it's my first six-month checkup. I went to my oncologist. We had actually decided that we would like to start a family then. And he was like, you know, from his side, that's totally fine for him. If I could just, you know, hop up on the table and he would do a quick CT scan. And then I was lying on the table for a really long time. And he turned around and looked at me and was like, I'm really sorry. It's metastasized to your liver. And I just remember Comrade and I bursting into tears, like full on sobbing. Um, Because when cancer has metastasized, that's automatically stage four. (laughs) There are only four stages. (laughs) Um, So that was in the middle of March. And I think it was two weeks later, I'd had more tests done. They found three centimeter tumor in my liver. I was booked in for uh, surgery and two days before we were supposed to fly to the Maldives, I was back in hospital and had 30% of my liver removed and my gallbladder. Yeah. And then I had another three months of chemotherapy after that too. Yeah. And this time round, I had a completely different attitude. I, I had surgery and because I kind of knew the ropes by then as well, I was like, right, okay, as soon as I can get out of bed, I started walking. And that was probably the best thing that I did because an active body helps you heal faster. When I was having chemotherapy, I actually talked to my work whether they would be happy for me to go back to work. The week that I had chemo, I would stay at home. And the week that I had off, I would go to work. And that was, it was hard. I cried a lot of time. I was that crazy girl crying in the tram that everybody (laughs) like avoided eye contact with. 
But actually it was a good decision to go back to work because it means that I wasn't stuck at home thinking about the multitude of ways that I could die. Instead, I was still going to work. Again, we had the big wedding coming up in July and I knew that I was still gonna be having chemo and we, I said to Comrade, I can't push it back again. We're not doing it because if we cancel it, we're never gonna we're never gonna do it. So regardless, so it was really great to still have that wedding to look forward to as well. So going back to work kind of kept me sane. Doing all the wedding planning, making all of the decorations, um, really helped. And then, as you know, the the day itself was perfect, and I still had another round of chemo to go after the wedding. Yeah, I remember you saying too. I'm not doing that. I'm gonna keep doing stuff if if I can't leave my house then you guys can come over if Mm -hmm. I can't do this then we'll do that like the doctors have played a very huge role in your journey um but you played a huge a huge role in it too like your the way you've been has been really important to how it's all played out and I think it was the only way that I could get through it because being told that you're stage four I mean of course within each stage there are then like mini breakdowns of how bad is is that section I was like the best part of of stage four and so having the chemotherapy they said you know hopefully this will work and said okay there's there's not really much else that I can do apart from eat as healthy as I can and keep living my life because you have no idea how long you have and I have to say I started seeing a therapist as well every week and she really helped me process a lot of my emotions and of course the trauma I mean it was it was so shocking to think that I was in remission and be ready to start a family to all of a sudden have that all not only taken away from me but also to find out that the cancer had come back it was devastating I just decided that I can't think about the cancer being out to get me it's just one of those things and that's just part of my life and I started to open up to people open and frank discussions with friends and family about what I was going through and how I was feeling and how terrifying it is and also how insensitive some people are. I had so many people come to talk to me and tell me their cancer stories about a friend of a friend and they'll be halfway through their story before realizing, oh, this doesn't have a happy ending. That person actually died. And I think that actually talking to people about how I felt made me not feel so alone and also gave people some perspective on what it's like because people have an idea in their mind of what a person with stage four cancer looks like and it's not someone with a full head of hair who you know on the second week of chemo looks perfectly healthy you could not tell outwardly that I was sick and I think it's hard for people to process what you're going through and so I think talking to people was really good for everybody because I didn't feel so alone and friends and family could get an idea of you know what it was actually like. And was the therapy something that you decided you wanted for yourself or was this something that was recommended by the doctors? I mean it was recommended by several doctors and I was really resistant to it at first and I actually met up with three different therapists before I found one that I liked and I can't stress enough how important it is that you choose a therapist that you have a good rapport with And um, I still see her to this day. And I think that that is really, really helpful because friends and family, they can only share so much with you or empathize with you where a therapist really helps you dive into things 
that may seem unrelated but actually have such a huge impact and I hadn't realized how much trauma I was still holding on to from almost dying from the septic infection I was really concerned about the cancer coming back but actually I was so depressed and down and I don't think most friends really noticed that because I was seeing a therapist and and talking my issues out and you know now it's coming up for a year later and I feel like a new me yeah and I just had a recent checkup so I'm going for my checkups every three months and I am all clear everything is going really well no evidence of disease so they don't class you as being in remission until after a certain number of years but it's called NED which is no evidence of disease which is where I'm at I'm feeling good feeling healthy and the longer the cancer doesn't come back, the better. So yeah, it's coming up for a full year and I didn't make it to a year last time. So I'm really, really happy. And I just have a feeling that everything's going to be fine. (laughs) And you just bought an apartment here in Freiburg. Yeah. And it just seems like everything is at a really good moment, which is really great to see. And honestly, really great to, to talk about in the middle of a pandemic and a bunch of terrible things. Oh, tell me about it. I mean, the pandemic, everyone's having such a hard time. But I'm actually having the best year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also another thing is since buying the apartment and all this, you sort of have come to a conclusion that you're staying in Freiburg, yes, you're staying in Germany. Definitely. And I wanted to ask, do you think that going through cancer in Germany has had any impact on this decision 100% we never had any intention of staying in Germany at all we were going to live here for a few years Carmen was going to build up in his work experience and then our intention was to move back to Australia where we had lived and met or to somewhere else and then once I got sick we realized okay Australia just wouldn't be possible because after having cancer you have to declare it which means any other insurance provider would never cover me for cancer and we could not afford to pay for any treatment whatsoever out of pocket so we knew that we had to stay somewhere that offered public health insurance and I do believe that the healthcare system here is way better than in the UK and we have such a great support network here and so we decided that we would stay in Germany and I think making that decision also really changed our relationship with being in Freiburg because it's it's permanent now we decided okay we're gonna stay we started looking for apartments in November last year and then in January we found one in February we signed the paperwork and we are due to move in in two weeks time when this was all starting to happen or when it was underway did you ever have any moment of being like I don't want to go through this in Germany and I actually would like to take this chance to move back home whatever home means not at all my granddad was sick at the same time that I was and I had visited him before I'd gone to England and a lot of hospitals in the UK are unfortunately very old and outdated people are still in wards with 20 people in them there aren't enough stuff there's just not enough support in comparison to being in a hospital in Germany that's got a maximum of three people in it and an ensuite bathroom I even had a balcony (laughs) Um, the food was great the support was great everything I needed was on hand when I was having rehabilitation to learn how to walk again and things I was given a roller tour which is like a little walker and I only just gave that back a few months ago so I had that for over a year everything was paid for and Germany is my home now 
Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I got little shivers. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that um, anybody listening to it is also going through difficult times, whether it's health or something else. Just, you know, takes a little thing away from it that it's okay to not be okay. But life still goes on and you have to find a way that works for you to pick yourself up again. With that, now to the silly part. We've got Yay. we've got the heavy, heavy part behind us. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> now for the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It's a rapid fire question round where I'm going to ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? I am ready. What is your favorite board game of the moment? Ooh, Power Grid. Funkenschlag in German. You have to buy different power like clean energy or coal and you have to buy cities and you have to energize them basically. <laughs> it sounds really weird, but it's really, really fun. I really That's enjoy a nerdy it. Game. I know it is. I'm kinda loving it though. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, what is your favorite type of tea at the moment? My favorite type of tea at the moment is uh rooibos with caramel or vanilla. And finally, it is outdoor dining season. Where is your favorite place to eat outdoors? Oh, I have to say it would be by a lake. Anything. I love a picnic. I'm all about that picnic life. Unfortunately, we haven't had a picnic outdoors for years because I have obviously been recovering from cancer. And so this year was the year. And of course, (laughs) then Corona hit. But hopefully... (laughs) Hopefully this year we can have a picnic. It's going to happen. Yeah. Now that I know it's a goal, I'm, I'm on board. I'm oh, help yeah. you make this happen anyway again. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for coming on to the Expat Cast. My pleasure. Thank you again, Natalie, for coming on to the show and sharing your story with all of us. You are a wonderful, incredible person, and I'm so glad that I get to be your friend, and I will see you at your housewarming party soon. Woohoo! If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram or on Twitter at The Expat Cast, and you can always shoot me an email at theexpatcast at gmail.com. I'm still scouting a couple more locations for the Travel Germany series. So if you live in a part of Germany that you think, hey, people don't ever think to visit here, but maybe they should, then go ahead and shoot me an email. I'd love to connect. I would also love it if you would take a moment and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Through writing your reviews, through leaving a rating, and hey, even through word of mouth, that's how this show grows. That's how we grow this community and reach more people, more ears that need to hear stories like these. On Thursday, we're going to be back in your feeds with an episode about one person's experience, what it's like being queer in Germany. Until then, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay cool. (laughs) Bis dann. Tschüss.